0: people watching or listening they're going to be hearing the new theme music of Dover yeah. Book Club.
1: I'm extremely excited to hear what you come up with for this one. Have you thought like what genre you want to explore?
0: Oh, I've already I'm... started recording it.
1: Okay, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, by the time people hear us, they'll they'll have just heard the intro, so
0: Yeah, they'll be hearing it right now probably.
1: Oh fuck yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you remember the The music I used for the last uh, Dobrin series.
1: You know, the um, Blodgett book theme song takes up so much (laughs) real estate in my brain that the Dobrin one is escaping me. But I remember loving it. Can you refresh my memory?
0: It was a sample I took from a TV show that he hosted when he lived in New York and it's like a libertarian rock band (laughs) (laughs) and they sing live free or die that's
1: right (laughs)
0: so i arranged like my own interpretation of that
1: that's right very clever these just get better every every (laughs) book so i mean the bar is high i'm excited though
0: (laughs) all right well we can uh we can start the episode then i'm justin and this is stella and we are beginning now uh, the second series in the Dobrain Book Club mega series. So, this is like a <laughs> series within a series of series. Right? If
1: you say so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is our third book that we're reviewing. If you don't count like the Sonic texts,
0: yeah. You should um, <laughs> that's a separate thing.
1: <laughs> yep. This is the second Dobrian book, third book club book. Mm-hmm. The people have been screaming for no for new Dobrian. More. Yeah. More.
0: <laughs> and we are covering um I believe this is the second book that he published. It's but it contains writing from uh much earlier than Willie Wilden. And I'm gonna show you the cover here. <laughs> looks good huh (laughs) so that's called uh seldom right but never in doubt essays journalism and social commentary written from 1997 to 2012 and you'll notice at the bottom there it says with a foreword by dorothy parker
1: yeah when you suggested this book and i read that and saw the the cover. The cover is a lot to unpack, but that that is definitely something that stands out. It is extremely. <laughs> I was like, "What the fuck is he talking about?" I guess I assumed that he, um, like took a piece of her writing and just like threw it in his book and said it was like a foreword. Like maybe it was just like she writes a lot about writing and writers and like the process of writing and and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing so i was like okay maybe he just pulled one of her essays about that but it's actually much much worse (laughs)
0: yeah so that dorothy parker thing is probably going to take up most of uh tonight's episode but before we get into that uh i want to i want to say how this will be different from previous book club series so i've shared this book with all of my friends Everyone that's on the podcast, everyone in the, the main crew and like the more expanded crew. Cinematic universe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We all have a copy of this that we can read from. Uh, and this series is going to be more conversational. It's less about me telling you what happened and more like I'm forcing other people to also read this with me. <laughs> and then we discuss it together. It's a little more collaborative than before
1: yeah still painful for everyone involved but (laughs) (laughs) a little different approach
0: yeah but it's also like smaller chunks like -hmm. this is a book of essays so you're not reading like a whole narrative that goes on and on i think it'll be a little bit easier to digest and all previously like i've been sticking with like a one-on-one format and we're doing that right now, but it's more of a coincidence this time.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, we're
0: planning on more like uh, more group conversations we as the series progresses. As well, we invited many
1: other people to be part of this conversation, and we tried to invite them several times. And <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> that could be a fun running bit where uh, it's just you <laughs> and me every time. <laughs> <laughs> And no one else actually ever reads any of it.
1: Yeah. Honestly, you can't even blame them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Stella reminded me of this earlier. It's something I almost forgot. But at the beginning of this book, Joseph has a little bit of a dedication here. And I will read that verbatim. To the women I've tried to court or otherwise impress with my writing over the past 50 years or so, my thanks to all y'all. (laughs)
1: shout out to all the bitches i tried to fuck who wouldn't let me fuck them god this is so gross like there's so much to unpack here first of all what is worse like it is a big deal i think to dedicate a book to someone unless you're Mm -hmm. dedicating it to like a faceless Group Like a big group of people that like, there's like, it's just like all the ladies, like you're all lumped into this <laughs> one group of ladies who I tried to impress and it didn't work. Ha ha mm-hmm. ha. Like, just like completely takes out every individual person and um i don't know i just think it's an interesting insight into how he thinks about women and especially those he's like trying to have sex with
0: yeah i mean he doesn't list any of them by name but i assume that he does have all of the women he's intending to uh address here like he knows all of, like every person he's talking about he knows them he remembers <laughs> he keeps track of that <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm sure we'll meet some of them later in some of these essays. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I should say above the dedication, it says this is a work of nonfiction. However, the names of some people have been changed to protect their privacy. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, probably women.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What do you think of his use of all y'all?
0: Yeah, weird. It doesn't seem like something (laughs) he would say. (laughs) No. And he doesn't use an apostrophe. It's just y'all. spelled, yeah, Y A L L,
1: which is something y'all. we'd expect from Blodgett. Like Dobrian is a professional writer; we would expect him to observe the rules of punctuation and grammar, and yeah. Um, but it's pure Dobrian to refer to like dating as courting, like mm-hmm. pure, pure Dobrian.
0: <laughs> yeah, wearing a suit everywhere you go, trying to court women <laughs>
1: <laughs> to pitch woo. <laughs>
0: All right, so this forward, which purports to be by Dorothy Parker. Yeah. uh, I'll warn you now, I have a video recording of Joe reading this entire piece. (laughs) So we will be getting to that. But before that, Dorothy Parker. This is uh, someone I don't know a whole lot about. She was a writer, obviously. So these are my very basic uh, facts that I know about Dorothy Parker. She was born in 1893. Mhm. She died in 1967. The year my dad was born. <gasps> Do so, you think
1: your dad could be the reincarnation of Dorothy Parker?
0: It's totally possible. He displays <laughs> no traits in common <laughs> with her. <laughs>
1: He's literally exactly the opposite. <laughs>
2: <sighs>
1: um,
0: she was uh, a member of the Algonquin Round Table.
2: Mhm.
0: Which is something I know about as much about as i know about dorothy parker (laughs) harpo (laughs) marx was a member as well (laughs) yeah (laughs) i know that (laughs) and uh she was blacklisted from hollywood for her communist ties
1: oh yeah yep so i feel like usually you know i think everyone expects me to come into these podcast episodes like Shooting for them from the hip, (laughs) but today I do feel a little bit more prepared and like qualified to to walk through this forward and the first chapter with you. Yeah, Um, because Dorothy Parker is one of my favorite writers, and I also belong to the unfortunate club with Joseph Dobrian and. Dorothy Parker of being a professional writer so (laughs) (laughs) um so I have a lot to say about his uh his use of Dorothy Parker and some thoughts as we kind of move through so the the conceit of this forward, it's supposedly written by Dorothy Parker but it's actually Dobrian writing as Dorothy Parker like yeah yeah
0: if you've kept track of the dates that i've mentioned so far this episode i noticed that i know exactly what
1: you're gonna mention
0: (laughs) this book came out in 2012 writings from 1997 to
1: 2012
0: yeah and uh, i mentioned dorothy parker died uh 30 years before that
1: (laughs) yes so she was very dead at this point um she is dust Mm -hmm. but Something that I think is a very interesting, very interesting choice that Dobrian makes is that he um, is writing as Dorothy Parker at age 29.
0: Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, like, it, we'll we'll get into it. But I think that it's, it's kind of revealing, like, he's definitely, he's, like, writing as the like the Dorothy Parker that I think he thinks of in his like horny mind. You know what I mean? We'll get into yeah. it. Um, <laughs> but I, if, yeah, that's an uh, interesting choice when she died at 73. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, if you uh, did not listen to the first Dobrain book club on Willie Wilden, uh, horniness was kind of the main theme of the series. Mm-hmm. I kept a horny count for that one. <laughs> I don't plan on doing the same here because it will be too much for me to keep yeah. track of I think <laughs> <laughs>
1: um I think you did a good job of kind of hitting on some of the you know the high points and I have some notes about her life and like her politics and stuff that we can talk about as we're like listening to him um, deliver the forward, <laughs> but I just like suffice to say she would fucking kill. If she was alive and had a Twitter, she would be <laughs> so good on Twitter. She's very, like, pithy and sarcastic and mm-hmm. subversive. Um, I also feel very confident saying that she would fucking hate Joseph Dobrian. <laughs> and she would love Rockhard Caucus. She would definitely oh, okay. be, like, a Patreon subscriber. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, if you'd like, we we could listen oh wait you know what there was something i was going to play first before we listen to him read the piece i have a clip of him talking about dorothy parker the person also so as uh you know you've got someone who knows next to nothing about her you've got stella who's read her work and is you know loves her work and then we've got a guy who's writing an essay pretending to be her. <laughs> what does he think about her? Yeah. Um, <laughs> let me share this video with you here. All right. So here is uh, Joseph at uh, Prairie Lights shortly after this book came out. And he read like some essays from the book, of course. And then he did like a and a thing with the audience. And this is from the Q&A
3: questions for joseph dobrian yes john
2: tell us more about dorothy parker
3: (laughs) good question dorothy parker was a great composer of light verse for one thing one of my favorites of hers was a quatrain i like to drink a martini two at the very most with three i'm under the table with four i'm under my host (laughs)
0: I will say here that this this is the biggest laugh he gets in the whole video. It's (laughs) something someone else wrote.
1: (laughs) I fucking love that the first question after he's talked about his book is like, can we hear more about this other
0: person? (laughs) Well, to be fair, I I did watch this entire video. That's not the first question. Oh, okay. (laughs) It is one of them.
1: Yeah. 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 The group at Prairie Lights, they definitely know who Dorothy Parker is and-
0: yeah, they're old yeah. people who read.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, seriously, Dorothy Parker was a very admirable writer, somebody worth getting to know because, A, she was so screwed up. She, was, she had all kinds of neuroses. She suffered severely from alcoholism. And yet she was so self-aware, she knew exactly what was wrong with her and she was able to speak about it quite eloquently. And she wrote a short story that is very near to my heart called Big Blonde. It's a short story about a middle-aged alcoholic woman. And it was so believable because the author knew her character so intimately. anybody else
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's so interesting yeah i was so as i was kind of like thinking about this episode and the forward and everything it was like i mean he definitely identifies with her and like i have a a piece pulled up too about like how to write like dorothy parker and i have like Hmm. a point about how so I don't know if you, how you feel about Kenny G or like, um, I, I know you're aware of him. Do you have any strong uh, feelings?
0: I don't know. I mean, I know that like, you know, jazz people like- They love to shit basic, on him, yeah. Yeah, I hate him. <laughs> uh, I don't know, I mean, he seems to have some like self-awareness.
1: Yes, like, I think so.
0: I've seen him do, he's been in like a lot of like comedy stuff the last few years. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think- He can
0: take a joke.
1: He definitely can. And I think he kind of, he is self-aware. Um, there's a really good documentary about him on HBO right now um, that kind of investigates like why like jazz critics and music critics and jazz musicians just like hate him so fucking much. <laughs> yeah. And they interview him as well. And it's like, you can't really argue with his technical Um, facility like he practices for hours and hours and um, but he just like he does not have a soul when it comes to music and he's like he doesn't really when he plays it's not about like a lot of jazz is based on like call and response and like musical (laughs) like you're playing off of each other and really listening to each other but Mm -hmm. it's one of the quotes in the documentary is like good jazz is like sex and with Kenny G it's just masturbation or something like that. (laughs) Um, But it's a really good documentary and I do think he is pretty like self aware. And um, anyway, so in the documentary they talk about this like controversy. I think it was in the nineties where Pat Metheny like wrote this screed about how I've um, read that. Yeah, it's pretty good. Kenny G, <laughs> like, did a duet with Louis Armstrong, who is long, long dead.
0: Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, so, like, Louis <laughs> couldn't consent to being in this duet um, of him with Kenny G, where they're doing, like, It's a Wonderful World or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Pat Metheny equated it to, like, musical necrophilia. <laughs> and so, I think, like, with with Dobri in here pretending to be Dorothy Parker, it's kind of, like, a literary necrophilia but he's like like wearing her skin <laughs> like it's even worse like there's just something that is in dorothy parker's writing or in like louis armstrong's music that these people who are like using their likeness or taking their art or whatever are like they are missing and so for them to i don't know it 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 really kind of s- squeaks me out so i found this um this article about like h- how to write like dorothy parker it was on this this blog or whatever and there's so many similarities like at the surface level between dorothy parker and joseph Dobrian yeah. um that this article kind of highlight like the f- the first one is say it in evening clothes Um, (laughs) um, which I can, like, you don't, you know that Dobrian sits down in like his three piece suit at his, you know, word processor to like write and then, um, go light. So like be humorous, have a lot of wordplay, um, but also go very dark. So like talk about reference, like very serious subject matter, master the art of, uh, self deprecation. But there's yeah, something he does do that a lot. He does. So I think, like, if you just looked at that stuff, you'd be like, "Okay, I can see how he thinks that he's like Dorothy Parker, but there's something like the soul part is missing." And also, I think the accessibility of it, like, Dorothy Parker is so subversive, and but at the same time, like, it's pretty accessible, and that's why it's so brilliant. In that, like, she will say something and it's very much like straightforward and it just like breaks your heart and hits you over the head whereas Dobrian he really tends to like with Dorothy Parker there's not like a single word that you would get rid of with Dobrian like you just want to get in there and just like cut 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 he just goes (laughs) on and on and like takes forever to like circle around a point and that sort of thing so Mm -hmm. I don't know
0: well yeah, I don't think that's how he thinks he writes though. Yeah. Like yeah. we'll, we'll no we'll hear more about that when we read the, the next essay where he writes a little bit more about like the uh his technical background and all that. But
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I don't think he thinks he needs an editor.
1: <laughs> oh, definitely not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh if you're ready, we should listen to Joe read his own uh well according to him it's by Dorothy Parker, but uh yeah Yeah, read his own writing the introduction to his book let me pull that video back up same video but earlier you can see behind him there's a a big Donald Rumsfeld book
3: (laughs) (laughs) what really tickled me to death was the fact that I my publishers persuaded Dorothy Parker to write the foreword to this book (sighs) you know I was afraid she'd be too fucking busy and vice versa Uh,
0: but she said that she would do it you saw the kind of audience he's got there they're like just kind of nice old people
1: yeah Iowa City like literary crowd
0: yeah we're less than a minute in and he's already said (laughs) fuck
3: at them (laughs) even if she had to come back from the dead (laughs) and it's maybe the not the most flattering forward I've ever read but I think it was entertaining enough that I certainly wasn't offended by it, so I'm going to start by reading the words of Dorothy Parker that appear at the front of this book. Last night reminded me of the type of date in which I find myself imprisoned, oftener and oftener these days as my birthdays approach the fatal 30 mark. Right, so she's An 29. An endless dinner with a man who knows everything she's and simply really will not entertain the quaint little <laughs> notion that he might occasionally be mistaken. With the exception that when I am literally being dined by such a gentleman, he will usually see to it that my dainty glass of sherry remains at least half full.
1: So I had a question about that. Is that just like a stupid, like is he, when he says I'm being literally dined by, when she says, (laughs) when he says as her, I'm being (laughs) literally dined by, I was like, is that just a stupid, like a mistaken use of literally or is... Is there like some meaning there that I'm like like literally dying like is he dining on her or
0: Yeah, is he eating her? <laughs> <laughs> uh I yeah, I don't know what that's supposed to mean cuz what's like there's not really a metaphor with dining that I'm aware of.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I mean he says literally. So Yeah. Yeah, that one I was just like read it 15 <laughs> times and I was like what the fuck are you saying? <laughs>
0: So we we're, we're off to a bad start. That's only one paragraph into the book and it's already <laughs> <Yeah>. like what? <laughs>
3: yeah. In this instance though, I had to content myself with an apple. And Joseph Dobrian's new book, Seldom Right but Never in Doubt, the very heft of which suggests that Mr. Dobrian is rather more than half full of himself or full of something at any rate. It's like 200 Some may pages. find his confessions and declarations it's not in like I'm much more fascinated by the pathology. (laughs) Me too. Oh dear! There I go again, being perfectly cruel to someone I'm sure is a very nice young man. Nope. Actually, I could have stopped my little slippers on the hearth rug for joy when I discovered that this (laughs) journalist,
1: novelist, and political like. I don't, like, okay, he makes it very clear that she is writing this at her most hot with her tiny little feet. Like, he, like, <laughs> writes her like she's a little flapper or something. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, when she was 29, that would have been, like, the 1920s, right? So, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think, I just think he has this really horny projection of her, and, I mean, it's super... I don't know, it's just like super masturbatory for him to pretend to be like one of the greatest writers. <laughs> but but please remember she was at her hottest and yeah, then she yeah. reviewed <laughs> his book.
0: <laughs> uh, and the tiny feet thing, there was a like one of his love interests in Willie Wilden. He talked about how smaller feet were multiple times.
1: That's so weird.
0: (laughs) Her name was like Dora or something. I don't remember.
1: This is a Peggy Hill Stan podcast. (laughs) We refuse to talk about tiny feet. The bigger the better.
3: (laughs) Nat had finally gotten his pontifications, which have been published in various venues over the past 15 years, organized in book form. It's difficult to support any argument that Mr. Dobrian is a great writer, or even a very good one, but he has, at any rate, mastered the art of verbal ekdiziasm.
1: Okay.
0: Ecdisiasm.
1: Did you look up what that is?
3: I did.
0: Did you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I did, and it was on my work computer, and then I was like, oh, fuck!
0: <laughs> yeah, so ecdisiasm. I had yeah. to listen to him say it to remember how to pronounce it. Ecdisiasm means a tendency to undress to produce sexual desire in. So I guess that's... She's saying that's what he's doing with his writing, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. He loves to use a $10 word when, like, he could use... There's so many different alternatives. Like, just...
0: Well, this is in the voice of Dorothy Parker. Is that the kind of thing that she does, like, as a joke?
1: No, like, she... I think she has a lot of really clever jokes about where she'll use, she'll do like wordplay, like she'll use a word and then kind of like do something ton in cheek with it. Like she has this one, she has so many like little quips where she said like, you can lead a culture, but you cannot make her think like that kind of thing. Like (laughs) you, but she would, I don't think she would just throw in like, a word that you and I would have to go... They didn't even have Google back then. Like, (laughs) people had to go to their fucking dictionary to find... Like, she obviously knew all the words, but... Yeah, yeah. She's not going to throw in one that no one knows what it means. and (laughs) Just to, like... Like, it's just to make yourself sound smart. You know? Yeah. Bad.
0: Ectoplasm. So, basically, she's saying that he is, like... Literary, a literary flasher, I guess.
1: Yeah, I found it. I think the, yeah, it's like an exhibitionist thing. Right,
0: right. Yeah. So that's yeah. That's uh, Joseph playing Dorothy Parker's opinion of Joe's writing is that he yeah. he writes for the purpose of uh, exposing himself to others unwittingly for his own pleasure. Yeah,
1: Merriam-Webster <laughs> says like an an is a strip teaser, an erotic dancer. Oh, yeah.
0: That's a pole not like dancer. yeah, that's that's like doing it for others' enjoyment.
1: Yeah, and they've consented. I think is the yeah
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if you if you're reading this book, you are consenting to being exposed to Yeah. <laughs> <dough brain. laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: That is no mean feat. However, the question of whether he has exposed anything worth seeing is left worth is, is left to you, dear reader. At least the question might be debated if anyone took Mr Dobrian one tenth as seriously as he evidently likes to pretend he's being taken.
0: I wanted to give him a little bit of credit here for the self deprecation. Yeah. Uh, this one did hit the mark for me as the like person who takes dobrain more seriously than anyone else <laughs> 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 like
1: yeah you feel seen
0: yeah this podcast is the most seriously he's ever been taken so <laughs> this one did yeah did make that's me laugh. a fair
1: point <laughs> yeah i do like when he roasts himself but i don't know there's something about it where like he is self-aware and he is like saying something mean about himself. But I think people who are too self-deprecating, they don't honestly believe it. And they're either like waiting for you to jump in and be like, oh, no, 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 no. Or like (laughs) there's something like narcissistic, I think about being too self-deprecating.
0: Yeah, definitely. You're still talking about yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's sort of like a balancing thing, I think. Like if he's mean enough to himself, it gives him license to be mean outwardly.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Which uh, I mean <laughs> that's <laughs> that's kinda how I think about it. It's like, you know, I give myself a few negative points and then I've got more to dish out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like this galaxy Dobrian Dobrain <laughs> approach.
3: <laughs> It's clear that Mr. Dobrien is one of those people who cannot go through life without seeing himself, playing himself, in a high-budget movie, Blodgett. doing whatever he's doing at the moment.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: in his rare fun. moments
3: of idleness, no doubt, he's the sort who poses for formal portraits in his dressing room mirror.
0: Remember the cover of the book. In
3: many of his essays, yeah. Mr. Dobrien is clearly trying to be a wit. In others, he tries to shock. At times, he's a pedagogue. At other times, a mere purveyor of opinions occasionally a storyteller. Always and above all though, ostentation is his racket. (laughs) One finds it difficult to escape the conclusion that Mr. Dobrian is, in most of his essays, a little less interested in stating his case than he is in impressing the reader with his style, or dare I say that it exists, his charm. But let it never be suspicioned, rumored, or otherwise bruited about that we are dealing with a stylist here. Mr. Dobrian has an adequate knowledge of the English language, as befits anyone who makes his living as a ghostwriter and trade journalist, and thus his prose is readable. It does not, however, cause one by its magnificence to leap from... Okay, sorry,
1: like, that, like, that's a good example of, like, if Dorothy Parker is supposed to be roasting you to have her say something like, but he is an okay writer, (laughs) like, I don't know, there's just something about that that I think is so gross, like just that he would he would in like her persona like compliment himself as a good writer.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean this is a book, so being a good writer is like the number one issue here. Like are you good at writing? Then your book is worth reading. <laughs> so like <laughs> <laughs> criticizing all of these other aspects about yourself, that's a little less relevant in terms of a book forward yeah so he can he can pretend that he's like uh writing like dorothy parker roasting him but no i mean her and she's also like a great writer so her saying that you are good at writing is actually like the ultimate praise that it you're is, yeah
1: it is like giving yourself can you imagine? while
0: using a corpse as a puppet <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah yeah oh i mean i would feel a lot better about it if he just like what if it was like a negative review she had given of the book and she just like i would admire that type of self-loathing a lot more (laughs) than um him like peppering in these thoughts that like well like the technical facility is you cannot question that kind of thing
0: yeah
3: yeah One's chair and do a da- dance a joyous tango with one's French poodle <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: real quick is that the kind of thing that she would write
1: I don't know I don't think <laughs> <Okay>. so <laughs> let me see let me just do a c- cursory google search for a French poodle Dorothy Parker yeah 100%. oh you know what she did have a poodle
0: okay did she do a oh my gosh joyous tango with her French poodle
1: no pictures of her doing a tango tango, but there is, oh my gosh I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a couple photos. if you just look up French poodle Dorothy Parker, you'll see these like <laughs> very beautiful portraits of her and this poodle yeah <laughs> um and then there's one where like she got a painting of the poodle and she's like showing it to the poodle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you can you can google it, but I mean, like don't read don't read joseph dobrian's book yourself dear listener listen to us and uh go read some dorothy parker because she's a lot a lot better
0: yeah
3: yeah (laughs) here let me
0: continue with his reading
3: here Once or perhaps twice in reading these essays, you notice that some merciful pixie of a literary bent has whispered a memorable epigram into Mr. Dobrian's ear. This reminded me of the dean All of us dream and of being will will God. Then. None of us would be a saint. That's one I don't think I'd heard before. And therefore, I must give Mr. Dobrian the benefit of the doubt and assume that he invented it. You can just about see Mr. Dobrian tucking himself into bed with a coprophagous grin on the night that he thought of that little gem. <laughs> Secure in the knowledge that it would one day find a home in the pages of Bartlett's.
0: Coprophagous. <laughs> 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 oh my God. Is that a word that uh, you know?
1: <laughs> no, certainly not. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's uh, to put it in dictionary terms, feeding on dung as certain beetles. <laughs>
1: Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> so, a coprophagous grin is a shit-eating grin, which is the common phrase. Yeah. I think yeah. she
1: would just use the word shit. I really yeah. do. Yeah. Like, this,
0: and this is a big word that he had used before in Willie Wilden. Like, I immediately remembered it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> do you have, uh, like, a list of all the words you've learned from Joseph Dobrian Little <laughs> no, Glossary? No, no, no.
0: I don't, but... I, I will probably remember them. Uh, and I remember yeah. I learned Obstreperous from Todd Blodgett.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
0: this is the, the passage in Willie Wilden. Mother Teresa was the most repulsive geek in the world's crookedest carnival. If there's any <laughs> cosmic justice, she's now indulging her love of self-mortification by starring twice a day as the amazing Coprophaga, Bride of the Burrow, in some otherworldly Tijuana.
1: Oh my god, that's so dark.
0: So that's a different variation on the word coprophagous, but...
1: Yeah, that's, I think, a more memorable mental picture.
0: (laughs) Yeah. He's recycling his big words, which makes them less... God,
1: learn some new fucking words, Joseph Dobrian, (laughs) like you're making us do. Jeez Louise. He, like, here's a... This is another good example of, like, him as Dorothy pretending that like to roast him but like he's yeah, he's yeah. great like he has such a good turn of phrase credit where credit's due
0: <laughs> uh here i this is a, like a shitty way to show everyone this but here's the photo of uh the dog looking <laughs> at a painting of the dog
1: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> and that's that's dorothy her, her
1: poodle yeah yeah. He I mean, I just again, I think it's crazy that he writes as a 29-year-old Dorothy Parker because I don't know, he he either fantasizes about that version or mm-hmm. he doesn't want to admit that the 70-year-old version would be even less like <laughs> <Yeah>. willing to <laughs> deal with his bullshit.
0: Yeah, yeah. She did spend uh most of her life not being 29. <laughs>
1: Most of it,
0: yes.
3: (laughs) We might also point to the occasional instance of genuine humor, as when Mr. Dobrian describes an attack of gout in a most romantic illness.
1: I'm excited. At other times, he can be enlightening
3: (laughs) if you happen to be interested in the somewhat esoteric subjects on which he chooses to enlighten us. I, for one, do not know how I ever got along without knowing all about the evolution of the word Nimrod as a common noun.
2: <laughs>
3: but now, thanks to a Nimrod in search of Daphisms, I plan to dine out on this precious knowledge, oh, ever so often.
1: Wow, that he has blush, a few tricks to show Dorothy Parker.
0: <laughs> yeah, she never heard the word Nimrod before.
3: we <laughs> will get the impression that Mr. Dobrian adopts positions not because he believes them, but because he knows they will shock. But close reading of many of these essays will leave one convinced that however naughty, perverse, or just plain batty our young Sparky might be, he at least means every word he says.
0: Uh, Young Sparky was 56 years old when he (laughs) self-published this book. (laughs)
3: Whether or not his arguments are defensible, never let it be said that Mr. Dobrian ever takes the majority view without adopting a variant of it that the majority of his readers will find insufferable. Ding, ding, ding. In rare dramatic (laughs) instances, the dear man is actually right, as in his various rants on political correctness and criminal justice. Okay. Yeah,
1: this is where where we need to have a chat. Okay, so (laughs) I think it's really helpful... So not even in this shitty forward, but like the rest of the book where he references and makes like these, where he talks about like politics and he has like an entire chapter on like LGBT folks and how they should keep, spoiler alert, how they should like keep their deviant lifestyles to themselves, (laughs) like that kind of thing, like Just keep in mind, dear listener, as we go through the rest of this book, that he is saying here that Dorothy Parker thinks that some of his opinions are correct. And here's what Dorothy Parker, like, (laughs) these are her political opinions, just a brief high level aside. So she was a leftist. She was an anarchist. She got arrested for marching on behalf of Sacco and Vanzetti when they were arrested. Yeah. Um, she said at that time, I don't mind getting arrested. And then she got beat up um, when they were executed. She said, my heart and soul are with the cause of socialism. During World War II, she founded the Hollywood Anti-Nazi League. She hated fascists. She famously said, which is worse, the perpetrators of justice or those who are blind to it.
0: Yeah. And then that's what the got 50s, her blacklisted was. Uh, yep. Yeah. That group.
1: Yep. She got blacklisted. And then when she died, she left her entire estate to Martin Luther King Jr.
0: Okay, wow.
1: Yeah. So, like, she was good.
0: <laughs> right, yeah. And he, he says specifically that um, the instances where Dorothy Parker would, would find him to be correct are when he writes about political correctness and yeah. criminal justice. <laughs> criminal justice. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I Just, like... My understanding is if someone who was alive wrote a forward to your book, wouldn't that imply like some sort of endorsement of like the work that follows, the ideas that follow? So like, honestly, the more I think about this, the angrier I get that he would like pretend to be someone who, that he would pretend to be Dorothy Parker. And then like, like that she would endorse his book and specifically some of his like vile opinions.
0: (laughs) (laughs) he is a libertarian or he he did call himself one at this time i think he's drifted further right since this time in my opinion so it is possible that there is a little bit of overlap in his criminal justice opinions with hers
1: i'm sure we'll find out i'm sure we'll find (laughs) out as we read his his book maybe he confused her with ayn rand (laughs) was she ever an alcoholic (laughs) Uh,
0: I I don't really know (laughs) yeah I mean well let me just play like the last sentence here and then we'll talk a little more
3: on those occasions he states his point in a clearly in a manner clearly calculated to induce rages and massive strokes rather than conversions amongst those who take the opposite view
1: I mean, he is doing Mr. Dobry <laughs> conscientiously
3: makes himself dislikable at times with all the fervor of one who wants no more than unequivocal adoration from everybody.
1: <laughs> he's in on the joke. It's okay that we hate him. <laughs>
3: uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, so that's the entirety of The Forward by Dorothy Parker. I, I mean, obviously it's a joke that he's using Dorothy Parker, but it's like if you really do like respect her and her work like that is a like pretty disrespectful thing to do like if i was going to do something like this like write a forward to a book by a dead person i would choose somebody who i disrespect greatly and like that would be the joke is like (laughs) this person that i hate would hate me too but they're long dead
2: (laughs) it's
1: you know i that's a good bit i think like it would be it would be in poor taste unless it was done like perfectly well. Like you could ex- like if it was like satirical and if it was like in keeping with that person to a T and like you know that kind of thing. You would have to execute it perfectly, and I think we can both agree that Joseph Dobrian is not doing that in this case.
0: <laughs> no, uh, let me read that last bit one more time. Mr. Dobrian conscientiously makes himself dislikable at times with all the fervor of one who wants no more than unequivocal adoration from everybody. So there's a lot of conflict going on inside of him. Yeah. Oh my
1: gosh.
0: Inside him, there are two wolves. (laughs) One who just wants to be loved and one who wants to piss you off. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm finding myself identifying with that a little bit. You are. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I understand those impulses.
2: (laughs) I
1: think... um, I don't know. Not in your case. I mean, before... I wish I would have said this before you said that. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like he... Like, it's all mental gymnastics to, like, protect him. Like, I think he's very very fragile inside truly and but if you hate yourself and you your whole thing is that you're trying to like make people upset then when Mm -hmm. they are upset or when they hate you like you're like i already i'm i beat you to it you know what i mean that
0: was the point yeah 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 it's sort of like putting like a kind of like ironic distance between yourself and your work like yeah the intention behind this is not for you to actually enjoy it it's for me to antagonize you <laughs> <laughs> but also because that's the intention you shouldn't hate me too much because it's just yeah. like yeah and you should
1: fun. you should like it is the <laughs> yeah. thing yeah
0: like, you should get who some, is some this enjoyment book for? out
1: of it <laughs> yeah I don't understand <laughs> who does he think this is for
0: he's a provocateur you see <laughs> <laughs> so we're not lucky enough to have a video of him reading the entire book so this next one we're we're on our own uh <laughs> this well before i guess i can talk a little bit about like how the book is split up so there's like uh a, it's just a series of essays of course and he has most of them uh categorized and those mm-hmm. categories are politeness and political correctness Growing up, love, romance, and naughty stuff, <laughs> um, other annoyances of adulthood, aside from love and love. sex, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, one section is called Explaining Myself, and we're all looking forward to that one.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm something he's had to do many times in his life.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, a short one on Religion a long one on the awful English language and I think this is separate from that poetic matters uh, food politics and the law which features a three part essay on Monica Lewinsky
1: yeah I'm excited <laughs> for that one actually
0: <laughs> and then the final section fittingly is death <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's interesting that I mean, he talks about growing up, and then the book ends at death, but he's mm-hmm. not structuring the book according to, like, from birth through growing up through death. It starts with political correctness through, like, birth and growing up, and then <laughs> death. Yeah. And food. So there was, yeah. <laughs>
0: food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, this is, it's not a memoir. It's not an autobiography, but there is a lot of, like, autobiographical material in it. Mm-hmm. Um In this essay we're about to talk about, for sure. Uh, But the plan going forward is that each episode will cover a section of the book, like a group of essays. So today we're doing the uncategorized introductory essays. So after the Dorothy Parker Forward is an essay called Being a Writer, uh, which contains some like autobiographical stuff, as I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, I'm skipping around here a little bit. Again, we're just here to have fun. I'm not going to tell you everything that happens in this. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, this this is what I found extremely interesting. I've been a loner all my life, partly because I learned very early on that I must trust nobody, and partly because I developed <laughs> unpleasant traits that made me difficult <laughs> to get along with. <laughs> Since I often played alone, I would develop stories in my head and sometimes act them out, aloud, speaking to imaginary people or soliloquizing to myself. Possibly as a result of this, people started writing books about me. So to speak. I began to imagine when I was four or five that everything I did or experienced was being chronicled in narrative form by invisible men who haunted me <laughs> wherever I went and wrote my actions down as fast as I could perform them.
1: I know we like throw around the phrase main character syndrome,
2: but
1: <laughs> like... Wow.
0: Yeah, this is literally that.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, this, uh, he said something about how, like, messed up Dorothy Parker was. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is, like, uh, deeply pathologically interesting. And, uh, again, reminded me of the demons that came up several times in Willie Wilton. Like, this appears to be the, like, the real-life inspiration for those demons.
1: Yeah, and they're writers.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If you did not listen to the Willy Wilden series, um, the main character has these black little demons that follow <laughs> him around in his imagination and just like relentlessly mock him throughout his life. <laughs> it's like really dark and apparently yes. uh, based on something real that <laughs> Mr. Dobrian imagined when he was a child
1: perhaps you'll, you'll get to this part but something i really like so he's talking he's talking a bit quite a bit about why he became a writer what yeah. it's like to be a writer he says that when he was a junior at the university of iowa one of his professors gave him a term paper back and said you must not go into law school <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: stay in this veil of tears and keep writing
0: yeah uh there was yeah something about law school and politics it's like towards the beginning and i have a video actually a short video clip to play uh but you know in terms of not being a lawyer he says here i wanted also to be a lawyer and maybe go into politics till i realized that i was too lazy and unfocused to take that (laughs) direction (laughs) and i have him saying basically the same thing but it's like It's funny to hear it in his voice. So let me pull this up real quick. So I watched not only that 40-minute video of him reading from the book, I also watched this half-hour interview. (laughs) (laughs) And this is uh, a show that Yale Cohn used to do on Mm -hmm. PA TV. I think I played some clips of this show uh, for the Willie Wilden episodes also. I think the show is just called Talking With, hosted by Yale Cohn. Uh, and I pulled this off of YouTube, and the video title was Joseph Dobrian on Why Political Correctness is the Enemy of Freedom. <laughs> 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 but we're not really going to get into that right now. It's just a short clip
3: <laughs> where he says this. And on food and drink, there's um, section on politics and the law, which has always been a particular interest of mine because when I was a young fella I thought I was going to be a lawyer and a politician and then I realized that that was just going to be way too much work and I didn't have the right personality for it anyway but I'm still
2: I don't know
1: I think say, he would really well an amateur
3: politician yeah <laughs> well, but-
0: <laughs> and he called himself right there uh, a bit of an amateur lawyer and an amateur politician <laughs> uh
2: aren't we all <laughs>
0: and You may not remember, but I'll just remind everyone now. He ran for mayor of New York City as a libertarian. (laughs) Something a lot of amateur politicians do is run for mayor of the largest city in the country. (laughs) (laughs) It's more more that he's like a failed politician. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I think that probably like your first campaign, especially if you're running as a libertarian or like a fringe party candidate is probably a lot of work like it can be a lot of work but i think he has sort of an inflated sense of like how much work politicians actually do.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it depends on the kind of politician i think. Mm-hmm. Like i'm sure a lot of them are like exceptionally lazy because they're just rich people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have staff to do all the real work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You think fucking Bill Clinton skinned off his ass? You no. Know. <laughs> uh
0: another thing he mentions here is that um he so he's had an interest in writing since he was very young. And uh that professor who told him not to go into law school and encouraged him to keep writing, uh, that sort of gave him the motivation he needed to start writing like longer yeah. form. And he he says he as he puts it, cranked out a preposterously bad novel. <laughs> and he, he has two different manuscripts of his early novels that he never published. And someone else has these manuscripts. A woman. Yeah, yeah. He says, she could blackmail me with them. I'm so curious.
1: <laughs> I know. Yeah, I would release it. Release the the manuscript ma'am yeah.
0: whoever you are out there because <laughs> seeing what he puts in the books that he does publish yeah willie wilden what is in those early books that's so bad that he considers them potential blackmail material yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> do you fantasize about like licking the armpits of women half your age in those books also <laughs> And They're it's worse because half your age was a child at that feet. point?
1: Yeah, probably. <laughs> Their tiny little feet pitter-pattering through the through the house.
0: Uh, to my mind, the difference between bad art and good is whether the artist said, oh, I've spent enough time on this project, it's good enough, versus I've made it as good as I know how to make it. <sighs> the question that I have is which, which one's which? Which one of those is good art, I think?
1: Yeah, what is art, is the larger question.
0: For me, it's like, uh, once I get bored of it, it's done and it's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, interesting uh, thing here, he's writing about, uh, if, if somebody's uh, intention is to just write something that is mm. beautiful, pretty flowery language, You'll write meaningless sentences and passages as purple as regurgitated Kool Aid.
1: I mean, he does, you can't deny that he has a flair for a turn of phrase occasionally.
0: (laughs) My issue with that is I think that regurgitated Kool Aid can be any color, it depends on the Kool Aid.
1: Yeah, it sounds like you've had some personal experience, (laughs) some personal research on this one.
0: I can't recall ever regurgitating Kool-Aid, but (laughs) I imagine it comes out the same color it went in. Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I think, I mean, the intensity of the color of Kool-Aid, yeah, anything you puke out for the next week is going to come out the color of the Kool-Aid you ingested.
0: Oh, I should have kept going with this. So the people he imagined writing books about himself, there's a little bit more about that. Yeah. Sometimes I'd be crying in response to one of the countless humiliations that one suffers as a child. <laughs> and he says that the these imaginary people are writing about those uh, countless humiliations as well. Yeah. At, at that point, I would sometimes shout, they're writing books about me. And my poor parents could not figure out what I meant, nor could I explain it very well. <laughs>
1: oh, fuck. He also, so he mentions to, um, he talks about how when he, he says, I, I talk in blank verse. <laughs> I, when I craft a sentence, a sentence to be spoken, I pay attention to elements like meter, scansion, and assonance, assonance. Assonance, probably more yeah. th- assonance probably more than it does anyone i know i now understand why my youngest sister when she was about 5 observed joseph you talk funny <laughs> um i also thought it was kind of a telling detail when he talks about like writers and how um he says something like writers can basically go two routes so all writers take different approaches to writing in relation to the other parts of their lives. Some really do live the stereotype, locking themselves in a crummy apartment and skipping meals because all they can think about is writing. Other be- others behave more or less like normal people, <laughs> having families, playing golf, joining Rotary, and so on. You'd hardly know that they were writers at all. So my question is, which camp do you think Joseph Moore firmly falls into?
0: I believe he considers himself to be the latter. Like he he lives a somewhat normal life and isn't like, you know, neglecting hygiene to write. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of that stuff, I mean, to be fair, I don't I don't know this guy's friends. I don't know his personal life, but yeah. like I think like in practice he's probably closer to the other one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't know it sounds like he's really struck out a lot with women so I have a hard time like and the way he talked about the mother character in his book Mm -hmm. Mm Willie Wilden I have a hard time picturing him having like a pleasant family life
0: yeah it doesn't come across that way yeah and he he spends so much time in this like writing about his like how unpleasant he is to be around (laughs) like, like that's partially why he's a writer is because like, yeah, he would rather like express himself with the written word than like speak to anyone. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) There was one other thing I think he mentioned about art.
0: Well, before you get there, uh, he Mm -hmm. writes about, uh, how a lot of his motivation was to impress girls. (laughs) um he mentions a girl i should have known was unattainable um do you think that's i guess <laughs> how do i how do i yeah. phrase this um <laughs> <laughs> do you th- categorize people in that way <laughs> like whether you can attain them or not <laughs>
1: <laughs> i walk down the street and every person i see I could obtain them, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna put them in my book dedication <laughs> to all those I courted using my writing. I don't know. it's just like it's such a weird thing to be like, I used my writing to who has that ever worked for? like she was so horny for me because of my writing, yeah, it's like
0: a, it's unclear, well, he says that it seldom worked, okay, but so. But he also says, "Many is the woman I've wooed with letters." Yeah. So you did you did woo them?
1: <laughs> and I think we all know what he means by
2: wooed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that that's sort of like a you know mental categorization of people, like whether they're attainable or unattainable. That also reminds me of Willie Wilden, because yeah. right at the beginning, he he claims that every right. man. When they see a woman... Immediately. <laughs> they the, categorize in her. The would or would not group yeah. in their head, in the file. <laughs> <laughs> but those are actually two separate systems of categorization. Yes. It's would you would you or would you not versus would they. Would they. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I guess is probably... Um, well, I think it's probably healthier to think about it the, the second way. Like, think about whether this person might be interested in you. Because then you're at least considering they That they're you know. a human.
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. have agency.
0: Although when you call yeah. it unattainable, it's unclear. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, that is so much like you obtain an object. It's like literal objectification. <laughs> you know, you don't like obtain a person
0: was there He shouldn't (laughs) (laughs) he he says uh unattainable versus what you're saying unobtainable is there like a meaningful difference do you think
1: oh girl i should have known it was unattainable unattainable i I feel like they're probably the same now we're getting (laughs) pedantic
0: (laughs) yeah the awful english language as he calls (laughs) it
1: (laughs) that is that is true yeah
0: well attainable seems Uh, is something that you say about, like, goals. So Mm. that would be, I think, like, thinking about a woman as uh, something to...
1: Yeah, you, like, (laughs) rise to the level where you can attain her.
0: Uh, I don't know. I just... I mean, I've been in, like, a monogamous relationship with with (laughs) Ashley for a very long time, so, like, my brain isn't, I guess... I don't think about this stuff very often anyway. I don't...
1: I could... Yeah, but uh to <laughs> I don't I've known you for a very long time. I think since we were 14 or 15 years old. Yeah. And I would definitely remember if you said anything like this about women.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> or like you know, I I don't know. It's just such a fucked up fucked up way to think about women and like I know he's talked about like having women friends in some of his writing so like if you read some like any of his content and then you like you as a woman you would know immediately that he either like categorized you into would you or would you not (laughs) it's just like he can't like how does he have relationships with women that I don't know. I it just <laughs> seems like really creepy to me. Like I wouldn't want to hang out with him. Is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah.
0: There there is like, you know, like you you've got a lizard brain inside your human brain and it's like you are physically attracted to people very superficially and like that stuff does go on in the background, but
1: Yeah. That makes you a human. I
0: yeah, I don't know if that's like uh, uh consciously you think like is she Yes or no. <laughs> like, every <laughs> woman you see, like that's the first thing you gotta get out of the way.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Boob to waist to hip ratio has <laughs> her face is symmetrical. Uh he I mean, he talks a little bit about so as someone who writes, I'm not I don't write fiction, but mm. I write like for my day job all yeah. day. This paragraph kind of, I thought was kind of freaky. That's something you have
0: in common with him a little bit is, you know, writing as the job.
1: Yeah, yeah. And he says, I'm a writer because I'm self-absorbed and egotistical. I want Mm -hmm. to impress people. I want people to think I'm both wise and clever. And most writers write for the sake of their egos above all else. I don't really think that's the case. I think like... Especially, I mean, for, like, nonfiction writing or whatever, you're writing to inform or to communicate or to help people more so. I think the like, a better writer is, like, you have to write. You have to tell a story. Like, if it's about your ego, it's just going to be shit writing because you're, again, just trying to use words or, like, turn a phrase to make someone think that you're smart or whatever. I just think that's...
0: Yeah, you you said something before about uh Kenny G's music being masturbation. Yeah. I w- I would say that like completely ego-driven writing is probably similar.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: 100%, 100%. I did like one bit that you skipped there actually in what you were just reading. Uh oh. better that I create unfavorable buzz than no buzz at all. <laughs> To which I have to say, <laughs> to him, you're welcome. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I would just love, like, a great joy is to just, like, picture Joseph Dobry and walking into, like, the BuzzFeed offices with all the, like, millennials working there. And he's, like, just in his three-piece suit with his little pocket square and just how he would interact with everyone.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, there, uh, there is, like writing in this book about um the way that he dresses so i'm looking forward to that because it like having been in the same room as him before it's weird Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's like (laughs) he's overdressed all the time and that's like a strange way to live your life i think yeah like the kids who wore suits to school every day like that's Everyone thinks it's weird. It's not like we're impressed. <laughs>
1: well, I mean, wear the clothes for the job you want. He wants to be mayor of New York. So <laughs> you got to wear a suit pretty much yeah. every day.
0: Um, um, was, was, yeah. Was there anything else in this essay that you wanted to talk about?
1: Yeah. I, um, would you classify this essay as Orwellian because it <laughs> ends with quotes from George Orwell?
0: I think you know like uh very definitionally it has to be Orwellian. It yeah. has it has traits of Orwell. The traits being literally, yeah. Writing by Orwell. <laughs> like things he wrote.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, he quotes Orwell basically like repeating what he had been saying that all writers are vain, selfish and lazy. Um Although this is weird, I don't, I'm not sure what's going on here. The great mass of human beings are not acutely selfish, Orwell wrote. After the age of about 30, they almost abandon the sense of being individuals at all and live chiefly for others or are simply smothered under drudgery. But there is also the minority of gifted, willful people who are determined to live their own lives to the end, and writers belong in this class. so uh he's using orwell's words to say i'm special and i'm different Mm -hmm. and i'm a libertarian (laughs) (laughs) Uh... and that's another thing like george orwell was also a socialist i mean he's he was also kind of a shithead like he he was turning in communists to the government and shit but but he he did believe at least to some degree in some sort of like collective uh mm-hmm. welfare and stuff. So that's two writers that uh vehemently disagree with like the fundamentals of Dobrain's politics that he's using to make his own points.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I mean we'd be remiss to note that he actually quotes Orwell's actual words, whereas <laughs> he does not use any of Dorothy Parker's writing. Yeah. He impersonates her. He takes her name for his book, slaps it on the foreword.
0: Yeah. Do you think there's any sort of um, gendered aspect to that?
1: <laughs> I mean, he doesn't write George Orwell when he was 29 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. He respects the male writer enough to actually t- to quote him, like use yes. real words that he wrote instead of... Yeah. As I said earlier, impersonating uh, use her. his corpse as a puppet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Are you going to end this episode with, like, Puppet Master?
2: <laughs> sure. <laughs>
1: or, uh, um, I don't, this is probably not politically correct.
2: Oh. But um,
1: the song from um, Silence of the Lambs. Where he's, like, tucking his
0: pants and (laughs) dancing
1: in his woman suit.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) God.
1: I think you're going to have to cut some of that stuff. (laughs) That's not very nice. That has not aged very well.
0: Um, I don't know. (laughs) That wasn't based on a real person, right? That was all fiction, I think.
1: Yeah, I think so. Maybe Ed Gein.
0: Oh yeah, like it was a little the, yeah yeah. Some of it was based on Ed Gein, yeah,
1: but not like like I don't think there was really a Buffalo Bill,
0: right, right. Well, anyway, that was uh, the forward by Dorothy Parker, followed by being a writer, the yes. uh, the two opening essays to seldom write but never in doubt by Joseph Dobrian. Uh, as you know, if you've been a subscriber to the show for a while, we don't really follow a schedule, but. At some point, whenever we record another one of these, it will probably be about the next section of the book, uh, which is called Politeness and Political Correctness, and it includes such essays as <laughs> Manners Change, Assholery Remains, uh, and this is weird, Negroes, African Americans, and Colored People. Yep. Uh, You're Here, You're Queer, Whatever.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping to be part of that one.
0: <laughs> and uh, Working Dirty, that's the last one. So, mm-hmm. Which I assume is a review of the Norm MacDonald movie, Dirty Work. <laughs> but I haven't read it yet. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks everybody for following along with us. Thanks Stella for covering those essays with me. Yep. maybe I'll see you next time
1: (laughs) oh yeah I think it's just gonna be you and me for every based on the response you got for the for tonight I think it'll probably just be you and me
0: (laughs) all of our friends are really excited to read this book (laughs) yeah
1: yeah Uh, so join us next time for never write seldom in doubt baby (laughs) it's something like that yeah 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 yeah. (laughs)
2: Dorothy was a waitress On the promenade She worked the night shift Dishwater blonde Tall and fine She got a lot of chips Well, earlier I'd been talking stuff In a violent room Fighting with lovers past I needed someone was made.